What's up, sports fans? It's time for Let Me Speak. I'm Joe Braverman, and on this show, we discuss the big news in the world of sports as heard from me, myself, and I. Here's what we'll be talking about this week. At the MLB All-Star break, which teams should be feeling great and feeling bad about where they sit in the standings? Plus, is the hype for Victor Wimbayama justified or unjustified? And looking at the future of all Boston sports. It's episode 81 and the return of Let Me Speak. Let's get things started. Hit the intro! Let Me Speak. Who's back? That's right. Let Me Speak is back after over a year off the podcast returns. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. And who stuck it out for the past year? Who would have thought that Let Me Speak would be making its return? But here we are on Tuesday, July 11th, 2023. Can't believe all this time has gone past. We've got an amazing return show. For you, because yes, this is episode 81, but this is the first one back in 13 months. I want to say it's a little bit over a year. The last one we had was at the end of June. Um, so we have got a lot to talk about. We're going to be talking about the MLB now that it's at its all star break. The all star game will have happened hopefully by the time this comes out. Uh, we've got NBA Summer League, we got Let's get local, the LOL moment. We've got all of that. But I thought we'd dedicate this first segment because it has been so long. Just some major life things and how that's been going. Because I'm sure everyone who doesn't follow me on social media, by the way, Instagram, Snapchat, Twitter, all that stuff. By the way, Elon Musk, do not suspend this account. Um just everything that's been going on, you know, for those who haven't been following along. I mean, first off, personally, you know, we're still we're making grounds at WEEI Boston Sports Original. If you're listening in the Boston area, it's 93.7. Uh, you could always tell your smart speaker to play WEEI. Uh, we have our Odyssey app, which is free and you can, you know, skip any chapters. You can go to whatever show you want. Um, you know, that's the good news. The bad news is. We're still working with those overnight hours, and obviously it's tough, but still just tremendous to be a part of WEI. And I've been getting some really good opportunities, too. This past Monday, I got to fill in on Gresh and Fourier, which was our midday show. That's from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. You might have also heard me on Jones and Mego with Arkan that we just started at the beginning of the year. That's Adam Jones, Megan Adelini, and Christian Arkan. Been able to fill in uh, on there. Uh, we've also got our Red Sox coverage going on on WEEI. Get to hear some tremendous talent on Red Sox Review along with myself. We got Cooper Boardman. We got Jill Weil. Obviously, Brad Foe, part of the Baseball Isn't Boring broadcast. You know, we've got some tremendous stuff going. And on top of that, I've been basically the lead guy for our weekend shows at WEEI. So what the weekend entails is on Saturday, starting at 8 a.m., you can hear the WEEI producer show where uh, I be I will be producing 
uh, an hour with our fellow full-time producers. Uh, that includes Chris Shine from the Greg Hill Show on the mornings. We've got Ryan Garvin, who does Jones and Mego, and obviously Billy Lanny, who is a part of Gresh and Fourier. And of course, I've been able to fill in on the Rich Keefe show. I forgot to mention that show during the week as well. Uh, from 6 to 10, the incredible Rich Keefe. And sometimes uh, he's got a guest or two, been able to, to fill in there. Um, but on Saturdays, you start with that producer show. Then we've got Ken and Curtis, Ken Laird and Chris Curtis. That's from 9 a.m. to 1 uh, on Saturdays. After that, it's an array of talent. It could be Fitzy and Hart. It could be KJ Carson. It could be Mark Dondero. It could be Christian Arkin himself. Uh, but we've got some tremendous programming going on. And then Sundays, obviously, it's me tag team in the lawn with Nick Fitzy Stevens and Andy Hart for Fitzy and Hart. And let me tell you, we have a fun time with that. You know, not to, you know, single out any of the shows that we have on WEEI, but Fitzy and Hart is a tremendous program to, uh, to work on. They've got, they bring a sense of joy as well. I mean, all our shows are tremendous, at least in, in my, in my eyes, but I love working with Fitzy and Hart and Nick and Andy. If they're, if you are listening or maybe watching this, because we do post this on YouTube as well, hopefully you're enjoying the takes that uh, I have been providing and hopefully contributing uh, as a producer and hopefully what seems to be uh, an on air talent, which is what uh, we've been able to do, the three of us together. So WEI has been, uh, it's been absolutely great. Uh, tremendous to have been there. Uh, basically since April, we're at a, over a year now, you know, obviously the overnight hours are a little bit tricky, but um, we're still working around it. It's been, it's just been great. It's been great working with uh, WEI being a part of uh, one of the premier radio programs uh, in the city of Boston. I mean, you can't, you can't get any bigger than a sports radio in Boston. You know, that's basically when we get to let's get local. That's where a lot of my takes are going to come from when you've uh, heard me there now and again, but uh, we've got that. I've also been able to get back into the play by play field uh, starting in September. I was able to hook up with UMass Boston, the university of Massachusetts uh, in Boston and been able to get back into the play-by-play side of things. So it's similar to what I did uh, from Algonquin Regional High School and at Westfield State University, which you can obviously see on the cap right here if you're watching us on YouTube. Uh, Been doing some play-by-play. We've got soccer, basketball. uh, What else? we got hockey, uh, baseball. Um, You know, I've been able to put out a a couple of reels uh, from what I've been doing there uh, on my LinkedIn and on my YouTube page. Um, so it's been great to sort of get back into the field because basically I start, I stopped doing play by play. I was basically cut off once the pandemic hit in 2020, which shortened uh, my senior year at Westfield state, uh, and then got back into it, uh, with UMass Boston in September of 2022. So that will have been about two and a half years, uh, since I did play by play and I will tell you, it was a little rough at first, you know, had to shake off the rust, put some WD-40 on that stuff. But once the WD-40 sunk in, I started feeling like myself again, got back into the the play-by-play horse. And we've been running to it ever since. And I'm looking forward to getting that started uh, back up in September once the new school year gets underway. And UMass Boston is a tremendous broadcast. Uh, We use replay system. We've got a TriCaster, which means we use three cameras um, so it's been great to sort of evolve there from a, a sports broadcasting uh, template to be able to uh, move from there. Because obviously at Westfield State, 
we just had a camera. It was in live time. Uh, it, it wasn't as, I guess, sophisticated, not sophisticated, you know, no disrespect to Westfield State. Um, but this system, obviously, we have a replay system and the multiple cameras, as I mentioned. So it's been really great to have been able to link up uh, with uh, the Beacons Athletics Department. Uh, so shout out to uh, Michael Besky, who's been the director extraordinaire there at UMass Boston. Um, and he's he set me up in- incredibly for uh, for the opportunity I was given. Uh, and then obviously, uh, from a personal standpoint, you know, some very, very exciting things have happened. Uh, my sister, Julianne, gave birth uh, back in October to a beautiful baby boy. His name is Jackson. Jackson Sullivan. Have to get you out uh, in this return episode. Can't go wrong with that. And of course, my other nephew, uh, Calvin Deulis, is just getting bigger and bigger and bigger. I cannot believe the strides those little guys have been taking. And it has been so fun to be Uncle Joe or Funkle, Funkle you know, the fun uncle, as we like to call it. Uh, it it's been great. It's been absolutely great um, to see that the the two boys take so much joy in uh, seeing me around. You know, they they always give that big smile whenever uh, they see me walk into a room or wherever it is, you know, whether I'm visiting or something like that. Um, it's been absolutely incredible. And you've actually seen Julie uh, and her husband, Pat on uh the boston fantasy draft so uh if you're wondering who had the baby you can go back and uh you can look at that one so that's been incredible to watch uh born in october he's getting to eight months uh once we hit july 26 that it will be absolutely unreal that that much time has passed um but then of course we got uh my other sister caroline who got engaged uh very recently two weeks ago Uh, We took the trip down to uh, Rhode Island for the big engagement. Uh, And you saw, you know, uh, speaking of the Boston Fantasy Draft, you saw them as well. Uh, Care and Emmy did get engaged to each other, which makes me absolutely happy. They are so fun uh, to work with. Uh, And unlike the other engagements from my other sisters, uh, this was not a surprise because uh, we had taken a family trip to Nashville and Emmy had secretly told us while we were at a bar uh, me and Julianne, that uh, she was going to propose on July 4th weekend or the weekend before the 4th of July. So I knew it was coming. It was just the plan had to be executed. And sure enough, uh, luckily she said yes. So <laughs> that's been uh, absolutely incredible. You know, it's still surreal. You know, it's an incredible engagements are just so much fun to to be a part of, even if, you know, Obviously, I haven't gotten engaged, <laughs> but to be on the outside and to just see the joy that everyone has, you know, myself included, it's been insane. It, it's it, it's an incredible life that I, I'm living right now. Um, cannot complain at all. Obviously, like I said, the hours at EEI are tough, but it, it's just been I, I have no complaints about this life. And I, I thank the man above every day for being able to wake up and plant my two feet on the ground and be able to just keep going and let me do a podcast, which has been, I'm still so like, I'm trying to figure out how to do this, you know, how to wrap things up and and move on because it has been uh, over a year since we've done this podcast. So uh, thank you for, for those who have been listening uh, for the past couple of minutes for this first segment. I just wanted to get that out of the way. 
I promise you, once we hopefully get into uh, some more episodes, you know, we don't have a firm schedule yet on when we're going to be doing this, you know, from a weekly standpoint, you might just get an episode here, an episode there. Um, But we are back. We are back on Let Me Speak, and we're going to get things going. Coming up, it's the MLB. We're at the All-Star break. Which teams are doing good? Which teams are doing bad? Who should be patting themselves on the back? That's coming up next. the mushy gushy personal stuff is over let's get into why you're tuning into this podcast and that's sports and obviously this week is kind of tough because it is the off season for all these sports and baseball is on their all-star break so it's a little quiet which is why i thought it was a perfect time to come back you know filling some time about the return what i've done over the year but now let's get into the meat and potatoes and let's let's talk about sports and obviously the big topic is baseball because we are at the all-star break um, past the halfway point for most of these teams. They're past their 81 of uh, 162. So, uh, you know, I have the standings right in front of me, and obviously I've been paying attention as much as I can. So let's start with the teams who have really, who really should be feeling good. And obviously at the top of the list, it has to be the the Tampa Bay Rays. I mean, what an incredible start they had. I mean, they started 13-0. and Let, Let's get that out of the way. I mean, if you start that long, I Forget if it it tied or it's its own record for the best start, but I mean they've got the best record in baseball right now. They're fifty eight and thirty five. You know they're thirty five and fifteen at that dumpster fire called Tropicana Field, and they've just got an array of talent. I have no idea how the Rays have been able to just continue to produce talent just right after another. It seems like when they lose some kind of big piece or whatever, they somehow find another piece that they develop and have been able to just stay afloat. I mean, I'm just looking at their roster right now. Wander Franco, Randy Arozarena, Yandy Diaz, uh, Harold Ramirez, Taylor Walls, Manuel Margot, Jose Siri. I mean, it's unreal the talent that this hat, uh, this lineup has. Cause I mean, these guys, it seems like they hit three home runs every single night. I mean, you've got Siri with 16, Rayleigh with 15, Arozarena. By the way, Arozarena is a star. He is already a star. He's not a star in the making. He's not a past star. He's not a future star. He's a star right now. And you can just see, you know, I know the Tampa fan base is a little eh, little spotty um, because, you know, they get an average attendance of about 5,000 people a night. um, And you can literally trade in a cup of coffee for a ticket down there in Tampa. Um, but to see the the love for Randy Rosarena has been, you know, it, it it's great. And obviously he's a tremendous talent. 16 home runs, 58 runs batted in. He's got a 279 batting average. And obviously he's going to be a part of the all-star team. But of course the meat, the, the backbone for Tampa is their pitching. I mean, you have to start with Shane McClanahan. I mean, 11 and one, Two five three ERA. I mean, you've got to be kidding me with that kind of stuff. Um, obviously, they've kind of come back down to earth. They're not, you know, un- they're not this unbeatable monster that they were in the first half of the year. But I think it's that start that's really helped them. And, you know, kind of similar to most teams, they just have to get it done in the postseason. You know, that that's all it is because we've seen this team 
put on some incredible performances. I mean, 2021, they won the East. They had the best record in the AL. And then the Red Sox came in and knocked them out in the wild card round. And then last year they took a step back, but they still made the playoffs, but they lost to Cleveland and they, they were eliminated. I mean, even, you know, in the COVID year in 2020, they made the world series, but obviously they ran into a buzzsaw at that time in the Dodgers and they just haven't been able to break through. So I, I don't want to say that they are definitely heading to the world series out of the American league, just because I feel like th- there are a lot of teams, you know, in recent history, you got the the Colts from the 2000s, you got the the Mavericks from the 2000s, you know, all these teams who have had really good regular season, but just can never break through and win that championship. So that's where I'm at with, with the Rays. I think they're a really good team. I think as of now, they're the best team in the AL. If you, if you had to ask me, they are the best team in the AL, but it's a matter of, can they win it? Because we know they're getting to the postseason. We know they're going to be the number one team. Can they? Can they break through and win it all? It's going to be tough because they haven't been able to do it. Um, And recent history tells us that they're not going to do it, um, considering that they've had. But they, everyone just has to show up at the right time. And you're hoping that that beginning of the year that they didn't peak. You know, that that's all it is. You're hoping that they didn't peak. If you're a Rays fan, but right behind them, I think who else has to feel good are the Texas Rangers. I mean, let's put it at it like this. The Texas Rangers in the last three years have had awful records, awful records. They've been, if not for the terrible Oakland athletics, which we can get into a little bit later, if not for the Oakland athletics, they would have finished last for the past four years or so really ever since the, uh, Adrian Beltre days, the Josh Hamilton days, they have not been good, not good at all. And you could sort of see what they were doing last off season when they spent all that money to get Marcus Simeon and Corey Seager. And last year it didn't pay off. You know, they focused more on the offense. Now they're working on the pitching. You saw it in the off season when they brought in Nathan Evaldi and they got Jacob deGrom um, and, and all these guys, they've beefed up their pitching. You know, they just had to get that last year in 2022. And sure enough, here they are at 52 and 39. They're leading the division over Houston by two games. Um, and obviously they struggled against the Red Sox. Uh, I was able to see him the last two of three. Um, but I, I think I'm very impressed with, um, let's put it like this. You know, when the Texas Rangers made those signings, you thought, okay, Marcus Semyon and Corey Seager are going to be these big offensive guys. But sure enough, here comes Adolis Garcia. Here comes Josh Young. Here comes uh, just thinking of uh, some others. I'm I'm pulling it up really quick just to refresh my memory. Uh, Leody Tavares, uh, Jonah Heim at the catcher spot, uh, Ezekiel Duran at the shortstop. I mean, all of these guys have benefited from these additions. They're all playing very well. I mean, this is one of the. I think this is the best uh, batting team. Uh, in terms of batting average in the MLB. I'm going to pull that up real quick, but just the all of a sudden, just the turnaround uh, from Texas has been very surprising, and I think they should be very happy. I mean, yes, they are the best batting team at 274. Um, just looking at their numbers, they got the most uh, RBIs in the in the majors. They've got the most hits. Um, this, is, this is an offense that's really turned it around, and I, I do think, though, the problem that they're going to be facing – 
is pitching because Jacob DeGrom, obviously he has Tommy John and he's out for the year. And I feel like though, with Nathan Evaldi, he's been sensational. I think he should be starting the all-star game instead of Garrett Cole. So I don't know what uh, the manager, Dusty Baker is thinking of with that one, but Nathan Evaldi should be starting. I mean, come on 10 and three with a two, eight, three ERA one Oh nine on strikeouts. Um, I, he should be starting. And, you know, I, I just think he's going to come back down to earth at some point. You know, he's not going to be this unstoppable force. I mean, I think there's going to be a stretch where he's going to struggle. And, you know, when you have a guy, you know, if you watch Nathan Evaldi pitch, you can hear him grunt. You know, he's got that Ugh, every time uh, he's delivering the pitch. And obviously this is a guy who's had past arm issues. You know, I don't know if he's going to be able to hold up at the rate that he's going. John Gray, you know, kind of same thing. He's six and five. He's been sort of the tough luck pitcher. You've got Dane Dunning, uh, Martin Perez, Andrew Heaney. Um, I, I, I don't know if the pitching will hold up. I don't, I wouldn't put my money uh, on Texas to win the World Series, uh, if you're asking me. Um, but I would say that Texas should be feeling good about themselves and for the immediate future because. Um, you know, many wondered, like, what is Houston going to do? You know, how is Houston going to maintain themselves with uh, winning a World Series? Because let's face it, they have yet to be challenged in their sort of dynastic run uh, with these two World Series. You know, I one and a half because uh, one of them involved a garbage can. Uh, but they haven't really been challenged in the AOS. And here comes Texas, and they're finally uh, they're finally giving them a run for their money. Um, you know, granted, it's only a two game lead for Texas. Uh, we'll see what the Rangers can do with the second half. I think they do have to get another pitcher um, at the deadline to try and bolster that rotation because I think you've got a good front half, but it's just that back half, that number four, number five, where you really got to shore things up. Um, elsewhere in the AL, I'll give one more team, and I'll look at the Baltimore Orioles. I mean, I did I expect the Orioles to turn things around? Yes, I did. Did I expect them to turn it around where all of a sudden they're now two games back? of the Tampa Bay Rays in probably the hardest division in baseball in the AL East? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. The young talent that they have just been building and building and building. And, you know, to be honest, that's not, if you're asking me the way you sort of rebuild and keep a team going year after year after year is to do it like the Braves is to lock up young talent early on, keep developing them and hope that they do well. But here come the Orioles, who have been at the cellar for maybe five years, I want to say. They, you know, they have draft picks like Adley Rutschman and Austin Hayes and Gunnar Henderson and Cedric Mullins and Ryan Mountcastle. And they've slowly, slowly, you know, basically like the time it makes to make molasses, they've developed them. And sure enough, here comes Rutschman, in my opinion, maybe the best catcher in baseball, you've got probably the front runner for rookie of the year in Gunnar Henderson. Um, they finally have a foundation. That's what the Orioles have is they have the foundation. And this is only year one. You know, I am not going to say that this is a disappointing year, you know, if they don't have a long postseason run, even if they get out in the wild card round, because that's probably where they're going. I don't know if they're going to catch Tampa. Um, but, you know, the foundation that they've built is what they want. That's what you want 
Uh, and hopefully Adley Rutschman can continue this. You know, that's your that's your building block right there. And I know it's hard to have a building block be a catcher, but you just look at the roster, how well put uh, they are. And then you have hopefully some free agents that will say like, hmm, that's a good looking team. You know, you get guys like Adam Frazier, who maybe weren't a big name, but are contributing from a defensive standpoint. Because obviously that 232 average ain't doing anything. Um, or you have uh, some pitching um, that might want to come along. You know, that that is what's appealing. Because you've got Tyler Wells with a 318 ERA, 7-4. and four, Dean Kramer, Kyle Bradish, Kyle Gibson. They've got the pieces. You know, am I expecting a big postseason run? Absolutely not. I mean, you've got Felix Bautista, where if you if they can get it in a close game, if it's a close game and it comes down to the eighth or ninth and they got to close things out, I'm going to Felix Bautista right now, who I think is the best closer uh, in baseball. I mean, come on, four and one uh, with a 107 ERA. I mean, 23 saves on the year. That's just ridiculous. I'm just I am bowled over, and I think the Orioles are going to be a team to reckon for the next couple of years, um, in in my opinion, uh, just because this is basically the foundation that they built, and they can ride that for a long time coming. Now, to shift to the NL, though, uh, the team who should be feeling good, uh, I've only got really two teams just looking at it right now, and that's the Braves. I, there's really not much to say about the Braves. I mean, Austin Riley, Ozzy Albies, Ronald Acuna Jr., I mean, look, Look at the pieces that they've got. Look at what they've been able to do. And they've lost Freddie Freeman. They lost the the best maybe franchise piece they've had in the last five or ten years or so. And he left. And they're still with the best record in baseball at 60 and 29. I mean, it's unreal how the Braves have been able to uh, sustain it. And I think as of right now, they're my World Series pick. Uh, they... They just have everything. They have everything. Um, so uh, unless something drastic happens where they lose Acuna or Riley or Olsen, I don't see them. I don't see. I don't see anyone getting in their way. I, I think the Braves right now are my pick to win the World Series. Um, in the also in the NL, I think I wanted to save some time for this, but the Cincinnati Reds, I think they are a team that has to feel good as well. I mean. I don't even have to say anyone else on the roster. It's Ellie Dela Cruz. Once Ellie Dela Cruz came up, he has just brought in a spark to everyone on Cincinnati, even 45-year-old Joey Votto. But I mean, they before the year, before the year for Ellie Dela Cruz, before he came up, did you notice Jonathan India or Spencer Steer? or TJ Friedel, or Tyler Stevenson, or Jake Fraley? The answer is no. Now you've got a sensational talent in Ellie Dela Cruz, who, by the way, before the All-Star break in the last game, stole three stolen bases on consecutive plays. It was three stolen bases in, I think, a span of two pitches. He stole second, he stole third, he stole home. Unreal. Absolutely unreal. But in the 126 at-bats and his 30 games played, He's got 41 hits, four home runs, 16 RBIs. His batting average is trying to find it 325. So the fact that you have pitchers already and managers working around him already when he probably, I don't even know if he's qualified for rookie of the year voting. I have no idea about that. Um, 
But when you've already got guys who have to work around Ellie De La Cruz, that opens the door for guys like India, Steer, and all, all those Reds that I mentioned to just relax and play their own game because everyone's focusing on the tall shortstop that you brought up. So the Reds should absolutely be feeling great about themselves. Now, in terms of the teams who should be feeling like crap, I think the first one right out of the box, uh, at least for me, has to be the big money teams. It's the Mets and the Padres. I mean, come on. These these owners, Steve Cohen for the Mets, and um, I'm forgetting the, the second one for... Um, forgetting the other one for the Padres, but you spend all of this money. They have gone on the idea of we are going to spend our way to a championship, similar to the Yankees, but obviously they've got more money. The Mets, they go get Scherzer. They go get Verlander. They sign Lindor. They sign all these guys, and they're 42 and 48. They're 18 and a half back. I mean, really, I don't want to pin it all on Justin Verlander, but I mean, they are not. What the Mets have gotten from Justin Verlander is not what they were expecting at all. Not at all. I mean, they were expecting the reigning Cy Young Award winner. But you got to remember, Verlander's coming up on 40 years old. And not many people are Tom Brady and can play until they're 50. I mean, just looking at the numbers for Verlander. In his 12 starts, he is 3-4 and four with a 3-6-0 ERA. Now, can he come around? Maybe, but that's not what they expected. And obviously, the idea for Steve Cohen is that we're going to spend to win a championship, and here they are under 500. And honestly, I don't want to say it's strictly because of Steve Cohen for spending all this money, but yes, it is on the players. You know, Buck Showalter does have to, you know, kind of nudge him in the back, being like, hey, let's uh, start playing here. You know, Pete Alonso, stop worrying about the home run derby. Uh, let's start winning some games. And yes, they've gotten better, but they're still they're still a way, ways back from the wild card. And I think that slow start might have killed them. It might have killed them, just like it did to the San Diego Padres. I mean, they are the exact same way. You extend Manny Machado. You sign Xander Bogarts. You sign Fernando Tatis Jr. You sign Juan Soto. Uh, or at least you you are going to sign Juan Soto. And you're 43 and 47. But same thing. What are these players doing? Now, I give Steve Cohen a little bit of a break because he's spending on a bunch of different positions. Literally, what the Padres are doing, they looked at the best players on the market and said, we want them. You know, they see a good shortstop in Xander Bogarts. Wait a minute. We already have a good shortstop in Fernando Tati Jr. Oh, he's just got to learn to play the outfield. That's all it is. That transition, you know, for some players, it's an easy transition because some of them might grow up being like utility players uh, and that kind of stuff. But really, did you really expect that to work for Fernando Tatis to just come into spring training being like, oh, yeah, you're going to play outfield, by the way, coming off a ringworm suspension for PEDs and just all of a sudden be like, yeah, you're going to be in the outfield and you're probably not going to be our biggest star. Um, but I give Tatis credit. He's come back and he's played well. Uh, and obviously their acquisition, Xander Bogarts, has done really well uh, as well. But just to see the Padres, because the division was already tough when you had the Dodgers and the Giants. Uh, the Dodgers obviously being who they are and the Giants having a bounce back. I mean, but who would have thought the Arizona Diamondbacks would have been good? You don't take into account things like that. And that's what the Padres have 
failed to account for is that there will be teams who will come out of nowhere and have a good year. And sure enough, here the Padres are similar to the Mets and the St. Louis Cardinals, who I don't have enough time to get in there for, uh, who are also not feeling good about where they are, is you don't prepare for stuff like this. You just go and spend the cash and don't think about, you know, sort of the long-term plan. So that those are the teams in the NL that I think shouldn't be feeling good. Just real quickly, I mean, a couple, just one other team that I think shouldn't be feeling good, or I should say two. I'll pull, I'll pull two out there. One are the Yankees, because their goal to get Aaron Judge back, which they did, they signed him. He's going to be a Yankee for a long time. But now he's out with that toe injury. He's been out for a long time, and the Yankees look vulnerable. I mean, they looked vulnerable last postseason. Really, the I said preseason, before the season started, that the Yankees were not going to be good. Because what I saw in the ALCS, when Aaron Judge was the only hitter on that Yankees roster, putting in any kind of production, they were going to fall off a cliff. And now they haven't, they haven't fallen off a cliff. They're still 49 and 42. And they're not last in the East. That distinction belongs to the Red Sox. But the fact that they don't have any pieces to back up the loss of Aaron Judge. Aaron Judge has the impact of a Barry Bonds or a Mark McGuire in the sense that if you take him out of the lineup, everyone else crumbles. Absolutely crumbles. And they can't save themselves. You know, they can't rely on Aaron Judge to hit 60 home runs again and break another record. You know, because Giancarlo Stan is a strikeout guy. Uh, Glaber Torres only on defense. He's not a home run hitter. You know, no one can make up the production for Aaron judge. So that's why the Yankees, at least in my eyes are one of the teams that should feel, be feeling bad. And one other team I think should be feeling bad are the angels because they're about to lose Shohei Otani, the best player in baseball in the last 80 years or whatever, maybe since Babe Ruth. I mean, come on 45 and 46. They've lost five straight going into the break. They're one and nine in their last 10 games. And you have the best player in baseball. Now, I understand he had the blister, and uh, he's not going to pitch, obviously, in the All-Star game. And I know they just lost Mike Trout to a wrist fracture. Again, Trout hits the injury bug. But still, you couldn't be a good team with all those guys and with Anthony Rendon. Like, seriously, Shohei Otani, I don't have the numbers from June, but it is probably the best month that any MLB player has had. And you still can't make up for that? That's absolutely ridiculous. If I'm Shohei Otani... I I wouldn't want to be traded. I would play this out and I would wait to get my money because I want to look at the rest of the year because the first half, pre-All-Star break and post-All-Star break are two very different things in the MLB. We can see a team do so well at the beginning and then before we get to the postseason, they start to fall. And that's what I feel like Shohei Otani should really be looking at. Maybe not asking for a trade because you can still win the MVP. You can still have a tremendous year. If you want to take advantage of the California weather or atmosphere or whatever, go ahead, do it. You know, pitch until your heart is content. But if I'm Shohei Otani, I'm on a one-way ticket out of Anaheim or wherever uh, Angel Stadium is nowadays for the uh, LA Angels, and I'm finding another team. Because let's face it, the Angels are wasting another, another superstar that baseball has provided us. They wasted Mike Trout. They wasted the last couple of years of Albert Pujols, and now they're wasting Shohei Otani, which is sad because I want to see Otani in the postseason. I want to see Mike Trout in the postseason. I want to see them vying 
for rings and for championships. And the Angels, like they have in the past, have been unable to do that. Uh, so that that's where I stand on the MLB on uh, this in this first half. Um, the second half could be a whole nother story uh, once we get to the All-Star break. But coming up next, NBA Summer League and the Victor Wembanyama hype. Justified or unjustified? Like I said, this is kind of a, a slow week, obviously, in terms of sports news because we've got off-seasons and the all-star break in baseball. So it's a little tricky to find some stuff uh, to talk about. So we're just kind of do like a potpourri of stuff. Um, obviously, let's start with NBA Summer League uh, because the hype is all about Victor Wenbanyama. Now, I initially, for at least for me, in a, in a grand scheme of things, um, I don't like putting any labels on anyone right away, you know, really, really quick until they have sort of accomplished something. And the hype going into when Banyama, even, you know, a year before the draft was that this is the best prospect since, you know, LeBron James, since, you know, Michael Jordan and all that kind of stuff. Because remember what happened to Zion Williamson? Because Zion Williamson, basically since high school, was hyped up as the next LeBron. You have this freak athlete who is basically an unstoppable force, the most unstoppable force since Shaquille O'Neal. He was getting all the comparisons. He's got the LeBron. He's got the, you know, the the Curry. They've got all the Abdul-Jabbar, Chamberlain, all this kind of stuff. They have all these legends comparisons. But what has Zion Williamson really done? I'll tell you what he's done. He's put on street clothes and sat on the bench because he continues to get hurt. And yes, he may have all of this potential and all of this talent, but if you're asking me now that Zion Williamson, if you told me in 2018 when uh, Zion Williamson got drafted that he was going to be as good as LeBron James in five years, I would have said, yeah, you're freaking crazy. Why don't you go and prove it on the court, you know, instead of, labeling these expectations because you know how the amount of pressure that Zion Williamson has that gets him up to about 400 pounds to the 300 that he was weighing basically since he came into the league and has been injuring his knee and his ankle and his shin and every single part uh, because he has all that weight. So let's chill out on Victor Wimbanyama. Okay. I understand he's seven, four and he's got handles like a point guard and he moves like like an Olympic sprinter and that, and that kind of stuff. Okay. The talent is incredible. Don't get me wrong. Like this, this talent that Victor Wembanyama is the Spurs are insanely lucky that they got the number one pick and they were able to draft him. But in terms of the hype, yes, he has a ton of hype. But if you're asking me like, you know, how many championships should we expect? Is it a disappointment if he doesn't get to the hall of fame? Like, can we please slow down on those kinds of comparisons. Let's see the kid play in an actual NBA game first because, yes, he struggled in his first summer league game where I think he only put up two field goals in 13. I think he was like two of 13. Then the next game, he had 27 points, and then the Spurs were just like, we're done. That's all we need to see, all right? Let's relax 
on that kind of stuff. Let's relax on the hype on Victor Wembanyama. Let's see him go play. Let's see him play a game. Let's see him against this top these top talents like a Joel Embiid, like a Giannis, like a Jokic, like a Tatum, like a Devin Booker, a Kevin Durant. Let's see that because how many times have we seen guys light up the summer league and then completely fall apart? I'll tell you, I can't give you names because there's been so many of them. So let's chill out on Victor Wembanyama, okay? Give me a few years to see how he does. Because let's face it, we've got these guys who are basically saying, you know, he should be in the playoffs by year one. I mean, let's relax. Who's better at developing players in the NBA than Greg Popovich, okay? One of the top five coaches in NBA history. He's up there with Red Auerbach and Phil Jackson and even Eric Spolstra. I'll throw him in there. Yes, I have full respect for that Miami head coach. Greg Popovich will get the best, the absolute best out of Victor Wenbanyama. And he's not going to do it in year one, okay? These guys take time. I understand that Tim Duncan, basically a year, in the year he got drafted as a rookie, won a championship. But guess who else San Antonio had? They had David Robinson, okay? And then from 1998 or 1999, to 2003, they had to develop guys like Tony Parker and Manu Ginobili to correspond with Tim Duncan and David Robinson. Um, And they brought along guys like Robert Ory and Steve Kerr to win more championships for that dynasty. And then 2007 came along, or 2005, and then 2007, and then 2014, okay? These guys need to develop, okay? And if you're asking Victor Wembanyama, who's might take the league by storm. If you're asking him to start doing that from the minute he steps on an NBA court, that you sound absolutely ridiculous. Ridiculous. I understand. Don't get me wrong. If he lives up to it, then I will say all that stuff. And I've been able to see some highlights from Summer League. I mean, the fact that he can cross over and drive into the lane with the frame that he has being 7'3", and I understand he's a little bit on the skinny side, and, you know, maybe he might need to develop like a post play, anything like that. And if he does that, then I will give him his flowers, as the kids like to say. But I'm not doing it right now. I'm not doing it on July 11th, 2023, when he hasn't played a single NBA regular season game. Okay? This is a multi-step process to become a superstar. You don't just get it by having a bunch of hype via... A draft prospect. So that's where I am on Victor Wembanyama. Okay, let's see him play before we give him a label. Now, just a few uh, other stories that we've got uh, here. Uh, just just a couple of them. Uh, Northwestern. That situation is just absolutely messy, and the situation with Pat Fitzgerald. I'm not I'm not going to go down the road in terms of like the hazing, you know, specifics and that stuff like that. I want to talk specifically how the university has handled the whole situation. Now, the I I have there's probably going to be more information to come if you ask me. There's probably going to be more uh information to come regarding Pat Fitzgerald and maybe, you know, some other coaches regarding that. But in the here and now, I think Northwestern is in a lot of trouble. They're in a lot of trouble because let's face it, Pat Fitzgerald was, 
I think if you ask me, one of the more respected coaches among college football, you know, and that crosses conferences, uh, the way he was able to turn around Northwestern uh, into a winning football program was very impressive. But the fact that Fitzgerald had a knowledge of this, it's kind of similar to uh, to the Bob Huggins situation, you know, if we're, we're crossing topics in sports. Uh, Bob Huggins was a respected coach, but he had an incident completely destroy his career. And I think this incident is destroying Fitzgerald's career. Now, not saying he's not going to get another job, because like I said, more information still probably has to come out. But the fact that the university had this kind of knowledge uh, and this kind of stuff, and by the way, props to the student reporters. These aren't national reporters getting it. These are student reporters who are getting this stuff. Props to them, okay? So I just think the Northwestern situation is a complete mess. And I think it's only going to get worse because apparently there's another allegation from a baseball that the baseball coach was involved in a hazing situation. So, I mean, I I don't want to get too much into it for Northwestern, but you know, I I don't think the road is looking, uh, they're not going to be following the yellow brick road. I'll tell you that Uh, they're going to be following a a deep, dark path um, for uh, multiple, multiple months to come. And then just really quickly before we move on to Let's Get Local, uh, the big story is the Damian Lillard situation. Uh, obviously, he's requested a trade, and reports are saying that he only wants to go to the Miami Heat and that no other team should call. This is this is how I, I look at it from Damian's side of things. Why didn't you do this earlier? Okay? I think he's he's kind of taken the road that Kevin Durant took. Remember back in 2016, you know, he was this good guy. And then once he hit the Golden State Warriors, he turned into this villain and he kind of embraced it and stuff like that. I think Damian Lillard, you know, he, he is a nice guy. Absolutely. You know, one of the top talents that the league has. Um, and he's trying to not shift his personality, but he's just trying. He's trying to make waves because let's face it, he's been so quiet because Portland has been so quiet. OK, yeah, they haven't even won a single conference finals game since like the late 90s and the early 2000s, okay? They haven't done anything with Damian Lillard, similar to uh, uh, the Angels in the MLB. Wasted talent. That's what the Trailblazers have done. That's what Portland has done. The Really, the best player that they gave him is CJ McCollum, and he's not there anymore. Like, he wasn't even an all-star. Like, you couldn't work even harder to give Dame a superstar when the Warriors were doing their thing and the Cavs were doing their thing and the Lakers were doing their thing, you couldn't have brought on another superstar or at least an all-star for Damian Lillard. Like, I have no sympathy whatsoever for Portland. And I had been pining for this for years for Damian Lillard. Like, get yourself out of Portland. Get yourself a championship. And he's been... You know, incredibly humble being like, everyone's got a different perspective. I'm not worried about championships and a legacy and all that kind of stuff. He just wants to go out and play ball, and I respect that. Um, From a leverage standpoint, he doesn't really have any because he's got a massive contract, and not many teams want to take that massive contract. So really, when I look at this, the situation ends with Damian Lillard in a Miami Heat uniform because I think the reports are true that he only wants to go to Miami. You know, he's talked up Bam Adebayo and Jimmy Butler and wanting to play for that Heat culture. I think there's no other team he would want to go to. And I understand Portland being like, oh, we can wait months. Um, And, you know, 
Boston and Philly can come out with deals. Um, and he's just not going to accept it. You know, this ends with Damian Lillard in a Miami Heat uniform. That's all it is. That's all it is. It could be a terrible package that the Heat give out compared to who else is out uh, offering better packages. But let's be honest. Damian Lillard wants the Heat. The Heat want Damian Lillard. And that is how it's going to end. So that's really the potpourri that we have for sports. Hopefully we get some more headlines and stuff like that going on. I know NFL training camps are going to be starting soon. Uh, NBA still got a little bit of an offseason. They'll wrap up their summer league. Um, But hopefully we get more headlines uh, in the near future. But coming up next, there's a lot to talk about in Boston sports. So we got to get local. It's our Let's Get Local segment is up. This is our city. So now our fourth segment for all of you new listeners is always about our Boston sports because I am still living in the Massachusetts area and still grew up a Boston fan and I'm still a Boston fan. So we're going to dive into Boston sports. It's time for Let's Get Local. And I got to tell you, a lot has happened in the past year since we were on. I mean, a lot. I mean, you've got Pats turmoil, Bruins, Celtics, Red Sox. There's so much. And we could spend two hours strictly on Boston sports and all the stories that they have had in the past 13 months or so since the last time that this was on. But let's talk about the here and the now, and I'll try and keep it as short as I can. And I want to start with the Celtics because I think they've been making the waves uh, more than anyone else because when we last had an episode the Celtics had just come off an NBA finals and all the talk in the offseason was this team is destined for a championship now that they had that finals appearance they're going to head to the finals next year and they're going to win it all well they didn't get to the finals and they had a lackluster performance in the conference finals but let's talk about the the situations leading up to that you had what I thought were good offseason moves when you brought back almost the whole team, you traded nothing for Malcolm Brogdon, and then you brought in Danilo Gallinari. Obviously, Gallinari had the ACL, and he didn't see himself in an ACL uh, in a Celtics jersey at all. So things were looking great. And then the Ime Udoka situation happens, and honestly, like I, I don't want to get too much into that as well because there's so much logistics and stuff like that. But I do think the Celtics might have jumped the gun in terms of letting him go. Uh, because this was this is a situation that's sort of like an HR thing. It's like it, it can be a small thing, you know, depending. We're, we're probably never going to know, you know, how bad it was, at least in terms of Wick Grosbeck and everyone on the ownership uh, from that standpoint. We're never going to know that. So I think in, in me, at least from the information that I have now and that I know now, and what's been released, they jumped the gun. And Joe Missoula, I'm just not a Joe Missoula fan. I think he's trying to be this sort of revolutionary coach um, who doesn't want to use timeouts and wants to let the players dictate it. But there's a time you actually have to step in and be a coach. And obviously the situation was tough. You know, he was thrown into it only days before training camp got underway for the Celtics. And uh, maybe by this year, he's learned some things and he's figured and he's figured some stuff out. But... I'm just not a Joe Missoula fan 
at all from what he did uh, during the 2022-23 season at all. You know, the way he handled the media and his in-game situations, he didn't do any in-game adjustments. I mean, it, it was tough. It was absolutely tough. Uh, and it's so hard to listen to him on these post games because he's trying to develop or bring this sort of knowledge or whatever, and he's not doing it. So, you know, I if, if Missoula can change my opinion this year, you know, I will be the first and say I was wrong that he was not the guy because I do think this Celtics team, you know, uh, what uh, Andy Gresh said uh, when I was in on Gresham Fourier is that they need a tough nose coach. Uh, in, you know, and maybe that's the, the assistant. Maybe that's Sam Cassell. Maybe that's Charles Lee. Uh, maybe it's these assistants that they brought on to help Joe Missoula. This is what I think this team needs. Um, in, in terms of how the team performed and how it ended, I mean, I can't say it's all on the players because, I mean, I think I give most of it to Missoula. I give most of the blame to Missoula. And then I'll give the next of it to the players because, I mean, let's face it, Jalen Brown can't dribble with his left hand he'll just give the ball away every single time and they just didn't have a game plan they kind of went into those tendencies that we saw right before january 2022 when they turned things around i mean they didn't really have any ball movement jason tatum and jalen brown were playing sort of your turn my turn basketball and they were just too reliant on the threes which again can be a joe missoula philosophy um so so that's where i am with that i think it was a very Poor performance, and it was a step back for sure. Now, to get to where we are now uh, with the Christoph Porzingis trade that saw Marcus Smart out the door, at least on the Smart as, as, uh, side of things, probably one of my favorite players in the last decade. I mean, the way that he dove for loose balls and his hustle, um, he, he, had some, he had some great uh, memories for the Celtics. And I'm... You know, the the best that me and Christian R can agree on is when he took those two charges on James Harden uh, back in 2017, uh, and it basically led to a victory. Uh, that that was probably my favorite Marcus Smart moment. Um, in terms, I, I just think it was time. It was time. You know, Marcus Smart had been with the Celtics for nine years, and he's been a key aspect for, I want to say, maybe six of them. You know, basically since Isaiah Thomas was traded, He's been the guy, whether it's been the the first man off the bench and then eventually getting into the starting point guard. I mean, his defense and his hustle is uh it, it was good it was good for a couple of years, but eventually just the, the 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 time had to come and a change was needed because honestly, the way the season went, you couldn't have run it back with the exact same group. You absolutely could not have. You had to make a move. Um and I thought I honestly thought that uh the guy who was going to get moved was going to be Al Horford because I I thought you could have gotten some return in him and you could have uh you could have kept the uh, guards play or whatever. But Marcus Smart was the odd man out, and you know who knows maybe he might make Memphis better. But in terms of what they got back, they got back Kristaps Porzingis, the guy who was basically called the unicorn before Victor Wembanyama was called the unicorn. Um, if you ask me, it's an upgrade, and I think this team is better. I really do. Because Porzingis, this is now a guy who's had to take a lot. You know, he's had the spotlight basically on him from when he got drafted by the Knicks. You know, he was basically that number one guy. Because let's face it, Carmelo Anthony was past his prime. He was downhill. So he had to take a bulk of things. Then he gets traded to Dallas. He has to play second fiddle to Luka Doncic. 
Uh, and then when he goes to Washington, he has to play uh, second fiddle to uh, Bradley Beal. And obviously Bradley Beal was not a good talent. So when he got hurt, Porzingis had to take the load. And sure enough, he had the best of his career. So I think with Porzingis, he doesn't, he can't be in the spotlight. That's that's how I see it. He can't be that spotlight of that number one or the number two. I think he's a great number three, number four. If he's playing alongside Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, I think Porzingis can be really good. He can stretch the floor much better than Al Horford. I think he's a better defender than Al Horford. He finally gives the Celtics uh, a rim protector. Not saying he's a great rim protector, and you don't even need him to be a rim protector because you still have Robert Williams out there. Um, but I think this is a great move by the Celtics in getting Porzingis. And, you know, granted, it's a big salary, and you extended him two extra years, so it's going to be 36 and then 30 and 30. Um, but I like what they gave up. You know, the fact that they only had to give up, you know, Gallinari, who didn't play anywhere uh, or any minutes or second for the Celtics, Mike Muscala, who was basically the only trade deadline guy they got, and they didn't even play him. And Marcus Smart, who you just had to move on from because he was the longest tenured guy and you had to move on from him. So I like the deal. I like the deal from Christoph Porzingis. Now, the one thing that does concern me, though, is the fact that Grant Williams is not going to be returning because he's in a sign and trade last week. He's off to the Dallas Mavericks. And honestly, I couldn't tell you a defensive first guy. I mean, Derek White is probably the closest thing I think he is your best defender out there, followed by uh, Robert Williams. Um, and I, I think this team is taking a step back in defense. And I understand what Brad Stevens is sort of doing here in uh, constructing this, trying to go offense first uh, with all these moves he made. I mean, looking at basically your depth chart right now, you have guys who are primarily offensive-based guys, uh, except for Robert Williams, who are really focused on defense. Um you know, maybe Jason Tatum takes a step forward in his perimeter defense. And maybe Jalen Brown gets better defensively and he can guard some guys in the low post. Um, so if you're asking me, I would say the Celtics right now got better by probably 5%, 10%. You know, I'm not going to say, you know, as of right now, I still think they're the best team. Um, but I do, I wouldn't be surprised if there was like any kind of step back like maybe the Miami Heat, instead of finishing in eighth, they'll finish like in third above them. You know, maybe they finish third in the conference instead of second. Um, but they can still make a run. You know, you still got, I think, Jason Tatum, a top 10 talent. You still got Jalen Brown, who I think is a top 20 talent. And I do think that he can get better. And I think the Celtics will eventually sign him to a Supermax. I don't like how long it's waiting, though. Um, and I know there's reports of like, oh, the both sides are in agreement. They want to get it done. They want to get it done. But the fact that it's kind of waited this long, I, I'm I'm not feeling optimistic. And I know there were talks about the Celtics trading for Damian Lillard. I don't want to see that. I don't want to see a trade for Damian Lillard just because there's there are too many guys who could be number one options. I mean, if you if you make a trade with or without Jalen Brown, you've got Jason Tatum who needs to be ball dominant, Kristaps Porzingis who can be ball dominant, um, and you have Dame Lillard who's definitely ball dominant. I don't I don't like that. I don't like that combination. I really don't. And I honestly think that they're just going to be too offensive heavy. I think Jalen Brown is an underrated two-way player. I think his defense is very, very good. 
uh, on the perimeter. He's just got to develop it in the low post. Um, I, I just don't, I don't want to see it. I don't want to see it. I, I sort of like the team that it is now. I think they got to get like one more piece, you know, it'd be kind of cool to sign Blake Griffin just cause I want to see him get a ring. Um, <laughs> but you've got, uh, I, I think they need another piece. They need another piece. And I think they're probably going to need someone who's uh defensive focused. I think, I think they've got their offense, you know, squared away. I think if you bring Horford off the bench for maybe a 20 minute spurt, um, you know, just just plug in Porzingis in that four, keep Robert Williams at the five. I, I think that would be good. Um, but in terms of like what else they have to do, you know, maybe Jordan Walsh gets some minutes, you know, maybe Sam Hauser as well. But I think they need a defensive person. And they do have a trade exception of about six million dollars. And they have, you know, just enough room to uh wanna maybe make an addition in free agency. Um, maybe, maybe. We'll uh we'll see we'll see how that comes with the Celtics. But they don't get started until September. Let's talk about uh, who's going to be started soon, and that is the Patriots. And obviously, when we left, it was Matt Patricia who was the leading candidate to call plays, and Joe Judge as well. I'll just put it like this. It was a nightmare, nightmare for the New England Patriots. I mean, what on earth was Bill Belichick thinking anyway to have these two guys run the offense for a second-year quarterback who had an asterisk Pro Bowl year, who had, in that year, the best quarterback season among the first-round quarterbacks that were taken in his draft class. That's probably not the case now because Trevor Lawrence has made leaps and bounds. But I don't know what on earth um, Bill Belichick's thinking was. And now you're hearing reports that, there's a little bit of tension between the two sides. And honestly, it uh, it doesn't surprise me. It doesn't surprise me that there might be some tension because you got two different philosophies, Kraft, who still wants to win, and Belichick, who's kind of like set in his own ways and is not going to be told how to do things uh, and what he should be doing. So I do like the moves that the Pats made in the offseason. I love that they brought in Bill O'Brien. It was basically an AYP, anyone but Patricia to call that offense because let's face it, Matt Patricia was just put in a terrible situation. And I blame bill for that. I blame Belichick. You know, I think Patricia is a tremendous coach, just not on offense and not on play calling. And I think Joe judge, I take that back. He Joe judge stinks. He stinks as a coach. And I don't know why he's still a coach and why he's still accustomed to the offense and the special teams and anything like that. He's got to go. And hopefully by next offseason, when he does he stops working for free, then he can go. Um, in terms of like some additions that they've made, you know, Juju Smith Schuster is okay. Mike Gesecki is okay. Um, I want DeAndre Hopkins. I want the Patriots to go get DeAndre Hopkins. I don't know what they are waiting for. If Hopkins wants in and the Patriots want in, get the deal done now. Because let's face it, Hopkins has a history of being lazy at practice or not practicing at all. You know, why don't you give him some time in between the practices to at least get accustomed, get accustomed to the the mugginess or the summers that New England offers and, and Foxborough and stuff like that. How about building a relationship with Mac Jones so that when you get on the training camp field, it can be just like boom, 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 just like that. You don't have to worry about him integrating in that time. You know, and if you're competing with the Titans, I mean, come on, 
Compared to the Titans, the Patriots have a better situation. You've got an aging quarterback in Ryan Tannehill and a team that's on the decline because we know Derrick Henry probably isn't going to last, even though everyone wants to see him last. Your situation compared to Tennessee, who apparently is the other team interested in Hopkins and have made an offer to Hopkins, your situation is 10 times better than that. So I would be literally pleading. I would be on my knees. Hopkins, sign this deal. Please sign this deal. Get him aboard ASAP. I don't know what Bill Belichick is waiting. And honestly, I will be very, very happy to see when Belichick eventually leaves the Patriots and breaks Don Shula's record. I think he's going to break it uh, with the Patriots. But that time to move on, just like for Belichick, he's he's too caught up in the past. It's done. It's over. There's no more dynasty. There is no more dynasty, especially considering the division. You might finish in last place with the Jets and Aaron Rodgers, with the Bills and Josh Allen, with the Dolphins and Tyreek Hill and Tua. Like, you're going to finish last. And I don't know why. I don't know. It, does Bill Belichick just, like, work in a secluded room without any windows or any, like, notifications that he can get, like, that teams in his division actually got better and he got worse? Because they still really don't have an offensive line. They don't have a tackle that can protect Mac Jones. Their quarterback situation is all over the place. With uh, You're bringing in Christian Gonzalez, who's this hyped rookie. You have Jack Jones, who stupidly brought guns to the airport. You really don't have anyone outside of that. You know, you really can't count on Jonathan Jones uh, being this, you know, number one or number two cornerback. Um, so, you know, unless we get some answers in training camp, I really don't know what the plan is. For Bill Belichick, if you're asking me. Um, and then just really quickly uh, on the Bruins before we get into Sox. What is Don Sweeney doing? He clears all this cap room. I mean, let's face it. The Bruins had the best regular season in NHL history, without a doubt. And then they just choked it away. And I I, I don't want to firmly put it on Jim Montgomery, but Jim Montgomery gets the majority of it because he was too quick with his adjustments, Okay every team can have a bad game, all right? And I understand the Panthers were really good and they made it all the way to the Stanley Cup and they got Matthew Kachuk and all of these pieces. But after, what was it? I think it was like six to three was the game two victory. Um, He made the lineup change so quickly. He altered the first line and the second line and the third line. And I don't think you had to do that. I don't think, I think he read too much into the situation into the fact that it was the playoffs and that there's little there's less room uh, less margin for error than there is in the regular season so I think Jim Montgomery read too much into that and obviously you know this was a team not that physical I mean you've got Trent Frederick and you had Garnett Hathaway who were really the only guys who are enforcers um, but other than that you just couldn't match physicality now the question of whether Patrice Bergeron and David Krejci come back, I think it's more likely that Bergeron comes back than Krejci, but I think if Bergeron does come back, this is going to be the very last time. Because basically last year, he was asked, hey, can you take a discount so we can extend Taylor Hall, so that we can extend David Posternock, which they did, but now Taylor Hall has gone to Chicago. Um, and they had it all lined up. They had everything lined up where you could re-sign Tyler Bertuzzi Resigned Dimitri Orloff, resigned Garnet Hathaway, and what do you know? Gone, 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 gone. I don't know what where the Bruins are going now. They they might go from 
the best team in the regular season to maybe a wild card team at best. Because, yeah, you still have David Pasternak, and you've got some rising stars like McAvoy and uh, Charlie Coyle, uh, just to name a few. And you've got two tremendous goaltenders that you might need to you might need to trade one of them if this is the situation that you're in. If Bergeron and Krejci don't come back, you might need to trade Linus Allmark, which I hate to say, I think that's the guy. Because all of a sudden, Linus Allmark had a Vezina winning season after not having any Vezina winning seasons and absolutely struggling in the 21 postseason against Carolina. And he might be the guy just because Jeremy Swayman's on a friendly contract. He's a young guy. And he's uh, he played really well in net, so you might have to do that. But that's where I am in the Bruins. I'm not really trying to focus on hockey in the summer. But let's wrap up Let's Get Local with the team that's playing now. Or maybe not right now because they're on the All-Star break. But it's the Red Sox. And uh, the complaints I have for Heim Bloom are through the roof. I mean, the fact that ownership in Heim Bloom basically lied to fans' face and said, we want to keep Xander Bogarts, but just let him walk right out the door uh, and really didn't make a strong effort to get him in. I mean, come on. This this goes all the way back to 2022 in January when they or um yeah, January of 2022 when you bring in Trevor Story. You bring in Trevor Story, you know for a fact that Bogarts is gone from that time. But yet you're still offering a one-year $30 million extension to Xander Bogarts. And then when it gets to the offseason, you're offering him $200 million. Now, for Bogarts, I'm not turning down what the Padres gave him. $300 million or uh, $380, whatever it was. Whew, I am not turning that down at all. And I don't blame him at all. But the fact that, you know, if this was, if the Red Sox hadn't taken those steps and basically had promised fans, oh yeah, we want to keep him, we want to keep him, and then basically just let him go away, then I wouldn't have a problem. Like, if if they were still, like, in good communication, you know, and didn't make those boneheaded moves, then I would have been fine if Bogarts had walked. You know, if they had put out an effort being like, listen, this is what we want to get done. But you heard Bogarts. He wanted to come back. And now he's not back. And now he's tearing it up in San Diego while your shortstop position is total ass right now. Okay? Kike Hernandez, I love the guy, but he's not a shortstop. Okay? And then you have all these scrubs like Reyes and Hamilton and uh, Yu Chang. Like, I, I, they're good players, but they're not your shortstop. They can't be your shortstop. Okay? And then you go out and make these moves like Justin Turner. I mean, I, I can't say that because Justin Turner has been a great addition. Masataka Yoshida has been a great addition. But you're pitching? I mean, Corey Kluber? You let Michael Waka and Nathan Ivaldi go, and you bring on Corey Kluber for more than that? He's in the bullpen, and he's going to get DFA'd, okay? And I questioned the James Paxton move, but that was actually a good move. And now you might actually have to trade him. Like, this all goes back to Heim Bloom and ownership, okay? John Henry was once loved for wanting to go for it. And he did go for it when he uh, kept making pushes and he signed all these big guys. But now all of a sudden he's taking a 360 being like, hold on. I don't want to spend as much. I want to try to win, but I want to keep my money. But here he is spending his money on soccer clubs and NASCAR teams. It just, it's unbelievable how John Henry has said that he just basically doesn't want to pay anymore. 
He doesn't want to pay for his baseball team anymore, and he's letting Heim Bloom do that. So if it's me and I'm John Henry, I'm looking at Heim Bloom being like, hey, if we don't make the playoffs, you're done. Okay? This whole philosophy is done. And if they miss the playoffs, I'm standing outside John Henry with a picket sign saying, sell the team, sell the team, sell the team, because he just doesn't care anymore. He doesn't care. Now, this team is really good. Or I shouldn't say really good. They're above average. I pegged this team at 83 wins. I think the Vegas over-under was like 78 and a half. I picked over. I thought 83. Even they're doing better than I thought, okay? I think the bullpen is much better than where it was. I think you've got a great closer in Kenley Jansen who maybe you could sign him for the rest of his career until you maybe develop someone. Um, I like the lineup uh, where it is, especially when Trevor Story comes back and, you know, your one through nine looked really good. You know, I, I get that Devers is struggling. And basically, that that's another ownership thing where you were basically pressured by the fans being into, like, signing Devers, and you did. Um, the problem is starting pitching. They can't develop starting pitch. I shouldn't say they can't develop because Brian Bale, sensational. You know, I'm not going to call him the next Pedro Martinez, but his future looks very, very bright. But there's always one position that Heim Bloom seems to disregard. And this year... Not only was it shortstop, as I mentioned, it's starting pitching, okay? You had seven starting pitches, and I get the injury bug was one thing, but you didn't have a backup plan for Chris Sale, who has been injured at least for half the season in every single year since he signed that big extension, okay? Your, all your plan was was just to shift Crutter, Cutter Crawford into the starting rotation from the bullpen and keep Nick Pavetta in the bullpen, even though he is a quality starter? I mean, come on. Absolutely ridiculous. I hope the Sox make the postseason. I mean, it's looking good if they can leapfrog the Yankees, and if this apparently toe injury is keeping Aaron Judge out for as long as we thought, you know, maybe. Maybe. I'm rooting for a Sox postseason, but in terms of a championship in the near future, I don't know if that's going to happen. I really don't know if that's going to happen. Alright, well, thanks for letting letting me just Get out all those Boston takes because, man, it has been a weird 12 months. We wrap up the show with our LOL moment of the week coming up next. So now, as we always do, or have we always done and are going to get back into doing to end our show we get on the lighter side of things and look at our LOL moment of the week. For those that are new to the podcast, the LOL moment of the week is basically the top blooper, funny moment uh, in the world of sports. And for this guy, this guy has had a couple of moments where you do have to chuckle. Um, he's a he's an all-star. He's in Seattle right now. And he had a very weird interview, if you have to ask me. And, um, you know, it's a, it's a standard lighthearted question so congratulations to nick castellanos he has earned himself this week's lol moment of the week for answering a question and having a very let's say interesting answer to who his favorite superhero was let's take a listen everyone was asked their favorite superheroes yeah. you said scooby-doo sure. i i didn't realize scooby-doo was a superhero can you kind of explain his superhero lore i mean well first off he's a dog right and he can talk Fair enough. Okay. And and he saves he's he's he solves mysteries. 
So I think that a dog that can talk and helps people by saving, by solving mysteries, I think is a superhero. Checks off all the superhero boxes, has special skills, and he helps people. Correct. Scooby-Doo as his favorite superhero. I'm sorry. Uh, that... He's trying to make it make sense, but it just doesn't. It does not make sense, okay? Let, let's break this down. If you ask anybody on the street who their favorite superhero is, it's people who have crazy powers, okay? Iron Man, uh, the Hulk, Superman, Captain America. You know, I can ask any Marvel nerd or DC nerd, and they'll give you a list of who their favorite superheroes are. Scooby-Doo is not a superhero, okay? A talking dog is just a cartoon. That, that's all it is. It's not It's not a superpower. I mean, look, look on any other cartoon. There's always a talking something in there, a talking fish or a talking donkey or whatever, okay? That, that's not a superpower, not at all. And the fact that he says, oh, he uh, solves mysteries, that's... Uh, that's a detective, okay? That's not a superhero. A superpower of solving mysteries is basically anyone in the FBI or in the police department who solve investigations and stuff like that. That's not a that's not a superpower. I I, I think he's just he's just Castellanos is just trying to be unique, you know, not trying to give that uh simple answer, I guess. Um, but if you're asking me, uh, Scooby-Doo is a talking dog, a legendary cartoon that uh, kids grew up on. And I would not put him in the same category as a superhero. So uh, Nick Castellanos, uh, we, you've had a couple of moments. I mean, hitting a home run after a broadcaster is uh, giving an analogy. Uh, I think you did have a, a memory at uh, or an LOL moment at some point in our first 80 episodes uh but once again you've landed yourselves into this week's lol moment of the week for naming scooby-doo as your favorite superhero and with that we are done with the return of let me speak thank you everyone for tuning into this return episode it was so great to be back make sure as always you're following social media we've got pages on instagram and facebook you just search let me speak podcast and follow my pages as well at twitter it's joe braverman pbp on instagram it's joe braverman uh everywhere follow 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 uh thank you everyone for tuning in and we will see you on the next episode later